this week, the Cathedral of Notre Dame suffered a devastating fire. People from around the world offered comments about the fire and what it means for their faith. The Metropolitan Museum of Art said in a statement, Notre Dame Cathedral is the very soul of Paris, but so much more. It is a touchstone for all the best about the world and a monument to the highest aspiration of artistic achievement that transcends religion and time. Also read a Catholic cardinal said he was praying for Notre Dame, which he called second maybe to St. Peter's Basilica in the ability of a church to lift our minds and hearts back to God. But he goes on to say, For the French, my God, for the world, Notre Dame Cathedral represents what's most notable, what's most uplifting, what's most inspirational about the human project. And then you have Neil Gaiman, a layman, a, a writer of comics and books for readers of all ages. He's listed in the Dictionary of Literary Biography as one of the top ten living postmodern writers. When he heard the news of the fire, he says something to the effect, the, great, the greatest sadness of the fire is the loss of a place where so many prayers have been offered up to God. These are three very drastic views of what the church building is supposed to be used for. Which one's correct? Notre Dame is known for its Gothic-style architecture. This architecture is designed to draw our eyes up to God. If you've ever been in St. Peter's Cathedral in New York City, you walk in and immediately your eyes are drawn to the ceiling because they're so tall. Our steeple does a similar thing. It points our eyes up to the heavens. Is that not the job of the church to point Christians to God? Or is our point to preserve artwork, relics, and be a testament to human aspiration? Aspiration rooted in sin. During this month, three African-American churches burned in Louisiana at the hands of one angry young man. And we comment that it's such a shame that these tragedies would happen so close to Easter. We say it's a shame that so many Christians have to be displaced for Holy Week. Since when did the church depend on a building for its worship? The early church gathered in people's homes. They gathered in caves. They gathered underground to avoid being infiltrated by the civil authorities. We only came out of hiding after the Roman government adopted our religion. And I think it needs to be said. We don't need a large building with a towering steeple to point people to God. We can take our message to the parking lot, to the street corners, to the basement of our homes and point people to God, point people to the cross. For those who have been following Jesus, I'm sure that watching their Lord suffer and die probably felt like the moment when the spiraling steeple came crashing down at Notre Dame. I'm sure it felt pretty hopeless seeing their teacher and Lord beaten to the point where he is unable to carry his own cross. Just a few days ago, people were cheering for him as he entered Jerusalem. And in the society that the disciples and Jesus were living, honor and shame played a major part in everyday life. You were judged upon how many honorable marks you had versus how many acts of shame you also had to your name. The most honorable event for one person to receive was a parade in their honor. 
This was typically reserved for military leaders who won a major battle for their government. The least honorable act was to be made to carry your cross to the town to your death. The disciples shared in the most honorable event in Jesus' life. They thought they could do no wrong. People threw them a parade in honor of Jesus' work. Now days later they are shouting crucify him and berating him with insults as he walks to the town carrying his cross. Their church of stone had crumbled to the ground as they laid his body in the tomb. Tonight does not end. Tonight is not the end. Tonight does not end with disaster, but with the promise of hope. We conclude tonight's liturgy by saying, We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you. By your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. Notice these words do not say, God will redeem, or even more simply, God redeemed. But rather, they are telling us that Christ, having died on the cross, continues to redeem the broken world. A world where a disturbed young man can burn down three predominantly African-American churches. A world where a towering cathedral which took 200 years to build can be brought down to ruins in a matter of hours to a fire. A world where violence meets is met with more violence. A world where children go hungry. A world where racism and anti-Semitism is alive and well. A world where an innocent man is killed for crimes he did not commit offered up as a sacrifice to protect the status quo. Christ can and has redeemed this world with all its problems and sins. And we are called as Christians to point to Christ. Even when our steeples crumble, we must point to Christ. Even when they burn our Bibles, our hymnals, our theological books, we must point to Christ. Even when they take away our beautiful worship adornments and furnishings, we must still gather and worship and point to Christ. Philip Melanchthon writes in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, The true adornment of the churches is godly, useful, and clear doctrine. The devout uses of the sacraments, art and prayer, and the like. Candles, golden vessels, and similar adornments are appropriate, but they are not the distinctive adornment of the church. Now, if the opponents made such thing the center of worship rather than the proclamation of the gospel, faith and its struggles, they should be numbered among those whom Daniel describes as worshiping their God with gold and silver. The world tried to turn out the light on Jesus, but God's light will always conquer the darkness. The cross teaches us that we do not need buildings like this, beautiful worship vessels, beautiful artwork, or even holy relics to point to Christ. All we need is our most ardent of prayers, the sacraments and clear doctrine. These three things are the most cherished of all possessions because they point us to the cross. They point us to Jesus. And how fitting it is that we gather here tonight in our version of a hollowed-out cathedral, hollowed-out sanctuary, where all of our beautiful vessels have been removed, where all the candles on our altar have been extinguished, yet we are still able to gather in prayer without all these things. There was a photo taken of Notre Dame after the fire had been extinguished, and there are candles, which the faithful had lit earlier in the morning as they offered up their prayers, They were still lit. 
Not even a massive fire could extinguish those candles. The world and Satan tried to destroy our Lord Jesus many years ago, but they lost. The world and Satan will continue to try to destroy us, to silence us, to take away all that we hold precious and dear, but they will lose. Take away our church and we'll meet in the parking lot. Take away our hymnals and we'll just sing the hymns we know by heart, by memory. Take away our Bibles and we'll just repeat all those verses that we can remember. When God shows up, new life begins. Death has no place in God's new reality. Tonight, it will be a little bit more rough. It will be rough to see and hear what is still to come, but tonight is not a funeral for Jesus. Our Lord lives, and this is just part two. Part three is still to come. Part three, we will meet Jesus at the tomb and find that death has lost its sting and that God's light knows no bounds. Satan has lost the war. Sin will be vanquished. We have been redeemed.